0: Sorry, contrary to what's written on your pew notice, it's Acts 17. It's correct on the screens. It's Acts 17, not Acts 13.
1: The reading is taken from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, What does this blabber want to say? Others said... He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, We will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius the Arapagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mandy. Will you please stand as the bishop brings us our gospel reading? Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Peter said in reply Look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So, Father, may our hearts be open afresh to what you have to say and pray that the seeds that you sow would fall on good ground and come to bear fruit in our lives. Amen. Please be seated, everybody. A few years ago, psychiatrists in the United States diagnosed a new illness. They called it information anxiety. You can see where they're going with this. Every day we are assailed by new information about the world, and every day, we feel like we're falling further behind in what we need to know. We now generate as much information every 10 minutes as the first 10,000 generations of the human race combined. Stop and think what that's doing to your brain. Some people are... Unable to relax until they have scoured the daily newspaper, which now has more words in it than the average novel. Others compulsively skim news feeds and hyperlinks, Facebook pages and Twitter accounts like a blue bottle on caffeine. This information revolution has also created challenges for those who have a message to get across. Because among the cacophony of voices competing for attention, how do you make yours heard? I want to use the example of Paul in Athens from that first reading to help us in our witness to a changing world. Because there... Paul gives us one of the finest examples of how to adapt the gospel to make sense in a specific place. Paul hadn't travelled intentionally to Athens to do some evangelism. He'd actually been spirited out of another town after attracting hostile opposition and was waiting to be joined by friends before moving on. In other words, Paul had been gifted a short-haul European city break (laughs) where he could enjoy the sights and the local cafe culture. But what he saw there moved him profoundly. Athens, he found, was a city devoted to idols with shrines to lots and lots of deities. Now, Paul was a man of rigorous, monotheistic faith, who was hardwired to resist any signs of the worship of more than one God. And yet, he doesn't write it off in practice here in Athens, Instead, he studies it closely, learning from it and making notes. Could this be the same, Paul? We soon find out because Paul then argues his case in the Areopagus, where the two-a-penny philosophers of Athens' chattering classes passed their time. And Paul begins by, wait for it, commending them for their commitment to religion. I see how extremely religious you are in every way, he says. Before we choke on our popcorn, he continues, for as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul didn't condemn their idolatry as evil. He saw within it a genuine, if confused, reaching out by people to something greater than themselves. He searched long and hard for some visible proof that he could use to convince them of this. And he found it in that altar to the unknown God. Paul had a genuine appreciation of Greek culture. Shown in the way he dropped those two poetic quotes to prove his thesis that God is present in history and in every culture waiting to be found. Unseen and as yet unknown to them, but making his pitch in Athens through Paul. Paul probably enjoyed showing off his intellectual skills, which we know he had, in front of them. But there's also tactical astuteness on display here. The call... For the church today, to engage with culture as a means of reaching a community with the gospel could hardly be clearer. God does not wait for us to share this message. He has already littered the cultural landscape with thousands of clues for us to find and hold up to others for inspection. If we fail to relate the gospel to these sources, it will appear needlessly trapped in a distant past. Now, Paul went only so far in ingratiating himself with this Greek culture because he knew there came a point where it had to be challenged and contradicted. Towards the end of his address to the Areopagus, Paul referred to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That was quite calculated in that place. It lay at the heart of the gospel and so had to be spoken of, And yet he knew that it would cause deep offence. And that's because the Greeks at that time saw the human body as a problem, a liability, which the human spirit, in its nobility and wisdom, should aspire to be delivered from. The idea that the dead would rise to live in a body again, sounded like the curse of karma to the Greeks, not the blessing of God. But it was a message that Paul knew he could not compromise on. Our challenge is similar. Some believe in a creator God but they do not think it's possible to have a personal relationship with him. They may reject entirely, as not fitting with their image of God, that after death we should face his judgment on our lives and how we stand in relationship to his son. But these are components of the teaching of Jesus himself, And they should be allowed to speak for themselves, however distasteful some people might think they are. In his life and teaching, Paul appeals to us to use our Christian minds to engage critically with our culture. Some of it is good, some of it's bad. Just because we like a piece of culture doesn't mean it's virtuous. Just because we don't like a piece of culture doesn't mean it's morally wrong. Aspects of our culture obscure God. Some aspects of our culture are a conscious or an unconscious reaching out to God like Paul, in Athens, saturated with gods. The clues we are searching for are everywhere to be seen today. In stories, novels, music, art, television, social media, in our attitudes to sport and fashion, Found in films and politics, all of those demonstrate in places the existence of an unknown God who commands all people everywhere to repent. That mountain of information our society is buried under today can feel stifling. And it may be leading to a trivialization of life where nothing stands out as important because we've seen it all and heard it all before. It is quite a task for us to pitch in and find the unknown God in all this. But it's the kind of challenge, like Paul before us, that we should relish because God is out there waiting to be revealed let's pray